Hello and welcome to Pale Reflections, a proud member of the Doof Network where we reflect on Wildbo's most triumvirate work as it releases. I'm Ruben Morehouse. And I'm Elliot Diebold. And we are here to talk about some more of Out of, uh, out of Limbs, Out on a Limb, <laughs> 3.8, 3.9 and security, what it's called, Sunny Day Logs and some extra yeah. bonus stuff at the end too. Um, I mean, we- look, this... This arc isn't over yet, but I hope it doesn't turn into out of limbs. That would be... <laughs> I, I suppose some people are about to go fight the Hungry Choir, so... Yeah, exactly. If you're ever going to lose limbs, it's with the Hungry <laughs> Choir. Um, before we get into all that, though, uh, just a quick reminder that we're currently running a fan art contest about... Yes. Monsters! Ah! Spooky. And as promised last week, I've come back this <laughs> so time equipped you, with... The um <laughs> the the deadline, which is actually the it's next Friday, Friday the twenty first of August at eleven fifty nine Pacific Standard Time. So, like based on when this is coming out, it's like just under a week left. So yeah, uh, I, I'm assuming if if anyone here operates like me, that means it's it's time to get cracking. Start, the deadline's yeah. coming up. Yep. Uh, so send us your monster fan art, please. Yep. Get out your colored pencils and all that jazz. Um, while you're doing that, we'll get stuck into the episode, shall we? Let's do it. You can so, use our ramblings on the chapters as inspiration, as inspiration for drawing yeah. monsters. Um, so our first piece of inspiration is uh, we dive into Adam <laughs> 3.8 and uh, we're in Lucy's perspective. And Lucy and the other Kenneteers are spying on the goblins. Um, it feels like we've been, we haven't done an episode for a long time. I know it's only been a week, but it feels like it's been longer. So I'm just going to recap what's happened, which is that <laughs> or you know i guess court isn't the right word yeah court um and the kennetiers want to uh free her um so that's what they're doing they're spying on the goblins who have brie tied up um and they're gonna try and rescue her yeah um i i think what one of the first interesting things i wanted to bring up here is is how the goblins seem to be really set up like in and around all the railway stuff in mm. town um, which is just interesting to me because I I didn't question it at all, or like because of course like the seedy underbelly stuff is going to be associated with the railway thing. Mm. Um, that's just how it how it goes. But that also then led me to the thought of like you know, two hundred years ago, like a, a railway line was sort of seen as like the peak of civilization by a lot of the Western world. You know, like it was it was a sort of sign of industry arriving. Um, right. I think it was like a very big deal when they started building like really big railway lines in the US and 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 also mm. down here in Australia um, mm. as they were sort of being colonized. Yeah. So it, I, I don't know. I like I don't know if this ties into the story <laughs> anyway at all. But I just thought it was kind of crazy that like it it only two hundred years uh, railway stuff has gone from like presumably something that would have made goblins run away in fear as a, as a big part of industry to something where. It's, it's kind of where they thrive now and they get to draw, you know, frog butthole graffiti and stuff. I guess it kind of ties into the idea of, like, technomancers as this group of practitioners who kind of define themselves by something that is very new and very fleeting. Like, railways are a good example of that, right? Because they were, you know, the biggest technological invention at one point, right? Like, oh shit, this yeah. is what's going to connect to the world. But now they are... More often than not, you see that you see kind of abandoned railway stations as like an iconic way of symbolizing, hey, this is something that's fallen by the wayside. Um, 
Yeah, well, as someone in a small town that, that's struggling in a lot of ways, like they're kind of seen as, as a bit of a symbol of how like places aren't what they used to be. Yeah, that's interesting. So I don't know if there's any, you know, coherent point to be made there, but just something yeah. to reflect on <laughs> on the nature of technology and the nature of goblins, I guess. Yeah, yeah, like those feel like stuff uh, that the story's touching on in various ways, especially in these chapters or and extra material. Um, so yeah, I haven't had any coherent thoughts about how it ties into what the story is actually talking about, but like it seems like a neat sort of side thing at, at the very least. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm with you there. I, I, I mean, I guess speaking of like, uh, you know. S- sort of towns and 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 you know ones that are past their prime or whatever lucy sort of opens this with a bit of an internal monologue about um how she's kind of pissed off at the powers that be in town because they put all this effort into maintaining like the the center of town and the bits that people see and it feels kind of fake because as soon as you go a few blocks north which most people won't but as soon as you do like you can see how bad off the town is hmm um, and it sets this really strong tone right at the start of this chapter of like, I don't know, wanting to cut through the bullshit or like, you yeah. know, talking about perception and the way we sort of can dress things up and, and you know, put on a layer of fakery and, and stuff. Yeah, it felt very no bullshit to me, right? Like yeah. Lucy kind of drawing this analogy to people who are kind of wallpapering over the problems in their life. But instead of that being a personal thing, it's the mayor doing it with the town, right? Um, yeah yeah exactly i think it's a metaphor that's used to open up the chapter to sort of get us thinking that way and and because i think it's very it's a very loosey topic like she's someone who despises bullshit but she like is also someone like you know we've talked a lot about like her her whole like dressing routine and how she you know does her hair and everything to make herself like bulletproof and it's yeah she's not necessarily dressing for her she's dressing as a bit of a presentation to some degree and and so there's it, it sort of overlaps with both of those aspects of her in a really interesting way. Yeah. I wonder whether we're starting to see notes of something that seems to play into as a theme in some of Wabo's other works without getting sus- su- specific, you know, the, the, the idea of like towns getting run down and abandoned is something that's a- appeared in at least worm, at least packed. Right. Um, like the idea of a, a town being rebuilt is something that is a, a strong kind of theme in Ward, right? Um, I wonder if we just kind of, I mean, I don't know if it's explicitly something like that or just, you know, Wildbo being someone who who lives in a fairly rural area in Canada, kind of letting things that he sees about the, the life cycle of, you know, settlements play into his work or whether there is an explicit theme that's starting to come out here. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It'll it'll be interesting to see um where this goes. I think yeah, it, I I don't know, it's hard. Like I feel like the the concept of the small town is, is just very common in in mm. stories in general. So mm. like it's uh, I don't know, I find it hard to separate. Maybe as someone who grew up in and and continues to live in um a, a fairly small city, maybe I just sort of see it as the norm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, interesting. Um, anyway, so the Kenneteers head towards the, uh, the tool house, uh, that Bree is being kept in. Um, and as they're going, they're kind of talking about how they're going to have to deal with the goblins and the other others that they almost certainly are going to have to confront during this breakout. Yeah. But uh, just planning contingencies for how to deal with everyone in town, basically. Yeah. Yeah. 
um, I, I had this weird reaction to this where it was like, I mean, my first time reading this, I expected it to go a lot worse. Do you know what I mean? Like, obviously it goes, it goes okay. I mean, it doesn't go perfectly, but it goes relatively smoothly considering that these three, I don't know, don't feel experienced enough to deal with some of the others that they have to deal with. And I guess the reason it goes smoothly is because the only others that they really have to deal with are a few goblins, right? Um, I don't know. I'm just curious whether there's more at play here. I, I don't think there is yet. I'm just, the fact that it just is this thing where it's like, it felt like it was a bit too easy for them to pull this off. And I don't, <laughs> I don't have a compelling reason as to why. So my mind is trying to fill in the gaps. I mean, well, there's, there's definitely one big helper they have at the end well, of the yes. chapter that we'll get into. But yes. um, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, the only ones they really have to actually fight um, are the goblins, which definitely helps. Um, I, I know what you mean. Like, there's definitely a bit of a sense of uh, I can't remember exactly what the context was, but we we had that whole thing about um, you know, trying to play chess against creatures that have been playing it for a thousand years. Yes. Uh that's sort of what this feels like. Like they have a lot of power and 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 like a little bit of knowledge, but there's since as they go through the list of just like uh, you can't beat all of these people, and even yeah. just taking out the goblins, they basically go through almost all the tricks in their arsenal in this chapter. Yeah, I, that's something they comment on later. I guess uh, putting my finger more firmly on it, what it is is it felt like this was a fine. This thing had finality to the fact that they were making moves against the Kennet others. But really, then then that doesn't seem to be how it plays out. Like, one, not yeah. all of the Kennet others even show up to, to do anything. And two, <laughs> as we see in the next chapter, it doesn't seem like it, their fallout from this is actually that big. So I, I guess it just felt Im- more imposing than potentially the Kennet others see it as um, in the moment. Yeah, yeah. I mean... I definitely agree with what you said. There's a sense of all this, like it was a bit of a heart wrencher in that they're kind of going through all the others and talking about how to fight them. Yes. In this real way where it's funny, like in arcs one and two, I probably would have been like, yes, this is good, smart. Yeah. um, Contingency planning because these things are all scary and dangerous. And now suddenly it's happening and I'm kind of like, oh, but not like this. Like it's sad now that they're, they're looking at like John and Matthew and Edith who haven't, quite done anything like objectively wrong that we know of who like they're just sort of having to plan for how can we betray the tools betray them with the tools they've given us Mm. it's just kind of sad um yeah so yeah i I don't know like there, there is definitely this this sense of like the 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 only reason this sort of stuff might work is because they're essentially planning on like betraying the trust that they'd been given which is like exactly what the others in town are afraid of but this is exactly (laughs) the situation that the others in town have put them in it's just just such a fucking mess it is isn't it um i I really felt this when lucy well this was kind of last chapter but it's kind of you feel it still in this chapter when lucy's thinking about john and how she was thinking about whether he would be a good um a good potential familiar and and that's kind of completely been soured by the these past two chapters right yeah like i think that's that's one of the ones that gets the most time is the idea of oh well if we need to beat john like we can't beat him so what we'll do is we'll like one of us will split off and then use the dog tags to summon him and there's a sense of yeah but he said he won't give us more if we 
abuse it and that might happen and and not only is this one of the first examples of how quickly they're burning through all their stuff yeah um that they're considering this but yeah like it just feels like that will permanently dent our relationship with him yeah. if we do this like in a very like physical way because we will have one less set of dog tags yeah it, yeah and it's it, they're all kind of things like this where i mean like i was thinking about this with relation to the goblins where they're burning through goblin tricks here and almost certainly the goblins aren't going to give them any more tricks later right like yeah yeah i mean yeah the goblins of I think almost all of them have sort of met their obligations. So I can't see them doing much else. Um, yeah. I mean, there's an interesting part to this, which is uh, like particularly this sort of goblin fairy dyna- uh, dichotomy comes up a bit here um, where like, you know, they're going to use the stuff the fairy gave them against the goblins and mm-hmm. the stuff the goblins have given them against the fairy if they show up. Mm. Um Again, it's just this cool like versatility that these three have acquired by having been adopted by this you know variety of others. Mm. Um, like yeah, it's is. I think we'll talk more um in the next chapter about the the sort of schisms within the others in the town. Um, but there's you know this extra layer to this, which is they're using stuff not just like bouncing back or. or betraying things like with john's dog tags but you know sort of taking something the fairy gave them and using it against the goblins which is in some ways an even worse betrayal well it's it's taking the knowledge about what will really get to them and you know using it right like maximizing the knowledge of that they've gained of how can i fuck with these people um, yeah, well, and in, in, in a way, taking advantage of the schisms that exist within the others um or the, the group of others like you yeah. know that they're the fairy and the goblins don't like each other and you're going to kind of use that to hurt the goblins <sighs> yep um, it feels weird to to be against hurting goblins because <laughs> like, like they're so delightful that's their thing <laughs> they're just so delightful. yeah but like they'd probably enjoy it you know well not the not the way they do get hurt in this which is hilarious and we'll, mm. we'll probably get to mm. yeah um I, th- I think the other thing i, I quickly wanted to talk about it during the, this whole scene um as well. well one thing is just how like hilariously off topic they just keep going mm-hmm. um like they almost take turns just sort of like saying okay now we need to get back on topic and then someone else will like take the topic and just go one run wild with it like it was just a really fun moment of like how great these three are as a sort of team um mm-hmm. that they can't help but be friends even as they're planning to fight everyone <laughs> Um, I hope it's not that. I hope it's not. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I, I get what you, I didn't. I didn't like uh, clock that uh, until I saw this in the notes. But um, it could be. I don't. I don't know. I. I. I don't. Know. I think it's just Verona's excitement about um, seeing anyone get into the practice stuff. Yeah, I, but there's just so many moments where they, you know, they're talking about the rest of their friendship and stuff. It's just, it's just a great moment. Yeah. And then they like collaboratively write the poem for Snowdrop's Nettle Wisp, um, which was like a hilarious moment, especially when Lucy comes up with the way to torture the goblins. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's also yeah that moment. There, there is the one moment where Verona sort of says to Lucy, "Oh, you know, you're so cool when you're into the practice," and. I just noticed in this chapter and the one before it, there were, there were just quite a few moments where I'm I'm almost starting to get worried that it feels like Verona is trying to like manipulate Lucy, like giving her these nudges towards the practice, like just yeah, 
Like, like I mean, I, like at the, on on the one hand, this could just be like a thirteen year old girl who's like excited that her friend is into the same shit as her. Like, I totally get that part of it, but I, I don't know. There's something about the way a few lines have popped up in the last few chapters where I was just like, I'm starting to get a little bit worried that Verona no, is like intentionally pushing Lucy there so that you know she can pull off her operation, turn into an other or something, and Lucy will be more behind it because she's deeper in the practice or something. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I feel like it can't be that, right? <laughs> I don't know. Do you feel Things... that way? Do you feel that way because of the evidence or you just don't want it to be true? I just true? don't want it to be true. You're yeah, right. Okay. But it, it feels too <laughs> manipulative for Verona, right? She's not that manipulative. Is she? Well, I mean, you know, she, she's her dad's daughter. Yeah. Um, well, gosh, that's horrible. Um, <laughs> anywho, so the, the plan is... Um, the plan is for Snowdrop to go in and distract them uh, while the Ken others kind of eavesdrop and then sneak in and, and bust Brie out. Um, and that's more or less what happens. It, 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 Snowdrop <laughs> enters, starts distracting, and the Kenneteers, you know, get, get in there and start, uh, start getting rid of Brie. Or not getting rid of Brie, getting her out of there. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like, it, it's fun how this this turns into a real fucking heist. Um, yeah. Like Verona, Verona does this big rune and, and then st- like it, it ends up being a rune that is designed to like cut a circle out of glass, which is obviously like, I mean, you can't have a heist without cutting a circle in glass. That's just the rules. Um, it, it's very fun. Like I, I was giggling like an idiot when I read that part. Mm. Yeah. Um, there was this, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's good, isn't it? There's this bit that that was like a hundred percent felt like it was one of those quick cut montages that you would see when people are off to a heist, where there's these lines where it's like masks on, hats on, coats on, and I feel like I'm seeing these like rapid cuts. Um, yeah, I know what you mean. Like, there's a cut and someone slips a glove on, and there's a cut and somebody's yeah, like exactly. pulling up like a jacket or something. Yeah, and it's yeah, yeah. Just, like one I, I totally or two second long montage. It's a handful <laughs> of shots that just like gets you in the zone for oh, they're they're in heist mode now, right? Well, and then and then because it has to finish on a shot of all of them fully in costume. Oh yeah, like in cool poses. 100%. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, um, that's going to be the you know the pale adaptation, I guess. <laughs> well, because. I assume that sort of thing even works in comics, right? Because you could just have a couple of panels that are basically those close shots mm. and then the big panel of, of all mm. of them in a group. Yeah. So even okay. if it's a visual adaptation that's that's like just a, a, a comic, it could mm. still work. Mm. Um, I, I, yeah. I think the other great thing from this sort of section where they're eavesdropping is um, there's a bit where Snowdrop goes in because <laughs> Snowdrop is the distraction uh, in the heist. And... Um, there's sort of a clattering as a snowdrop. I don't know. does something. I can't even remember something ridiculous. And uh, <laughs> like Ch- Cherry sort of turns to Bray and goes, she's dumber than I am. And that's saying something. And Bray just answers with, I see. And I don't really have anything to say about this other than I just, I just love Cherry Pop so much. <sighs> Cherry Pop is good. Um, but there's there's a bunch of there's actually a bunch of good moments about how like Cherry's still just the only one who doesn't get Snowdrop's thing. I, like, I, there's a bit where Toad Toad is like, "You got to tell me," and she's like, "I will tell you." And Toad, uh, uh, yeah, she's like, "I will tell you," and like everyone grumbles, and it's like, "I or I will not tell you," and it's like just Toad Swallow and Cherry crumble because Cherry's just not getting it. <laughs> Um, That's great. I, I was going to pull out something left in our pale predictor sheet, but I saw you've already 
Got it. So we'll yeah, talk about yeah. that later. A, a primo cherry pop theory. <laughs> um, so yes, Totolo arrives and things start to pop off. Um, Snowdrop gets grabbed and this kind of nettle wisp bomb goes off uh, with with some ponies and sparkles everywhere. <laughs> um, yeah, it's such a such a hilarious thing. The like My Little Pony nettle wisp to to hurt the goblins. Mm. Um, I. So to- Toadsaw, as he arrives, he's singing this this song, and I, and I googled it, and it's it's a ballad. It's usually called Matty Groves, but like you know, ballads that are like five hundred years old, like this, they they have various names because the the names change as as it evolved. Mm. Um, but it's basically this this song about a young man who hooks up with the wife of a lord, and then the lord comes back and catches them and kills them for it, or. I mean, it's one of those things, like, again, the story of Alderot, like, sometimes he kills the wife and finds his unborn son in falls out of her when he kills her, or um, oh, there were some other ones. That was the most horrifying alternate ending um, <laughs> that I came across. But, um, I mean, do you have any theories as to if there's any symbolism behind this song choice? I mean, obviously the fact that our protagonists are too young for that to be a plot point rules a lot of stuff out. Um <laughs> if the characters characters that have gotten murdered or had horrible consequences, I mean, like theoretically, maybe Charles pissed off Alexander by sleeping with the wrong person, or the the Carmine Beast slept with somebody and got murdered for it. I, I don't know. I mean, like it doesn't really make any sense, does it? I was going to say I mean, that what if it's yeah. Oh, so I was going to say, what if it's like a like just a different type of betrayal of trust, right? Like it doesn't have to be sleeping with someone, but like what do you know, yeah. like. I mean, jumping ahead a bit, like Edith going behind Matthew's back to, mm. to do shenanigans, you know, like mm. something, something like that. Yeah, yeah, um, could be. Um, yeah, I, my my gut feeling was going to be, oh no, I I just think you're reading too much into it. But we actually get validated later that um, you should be reading a lot into these things because they are probably going to be important because <laughs> we get one that does seem to be a part of them later. So, you know. I'm happy for you to pull out weird theories. Uh, yeah, I think, it'll, I think it'll work. I just I, like I, something. So you see in these Wabo stories is, is, is he chucks things like this in, but I don't think they're ever just the one thing. Like they'll tie in, mm. and it might not be in a super substantial way, but I feel like there's usually some reason for a specific thing to happen. Um, yeah, which is why I tend to grapple onto things like this in the homework. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, there's there's a lot of bits like this where innocuous looking things are actually foreshadowing or metaphor for other things later. That's why it's so fun. Yeah, like That's why it works on reruns. Yeah, exactly. Too. But it's it's never just like a random song. Like it's usually at least thematically relevant to something in some way. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um Yeah, you're right. There's usually multiple bits going on. But I have no idea what the bits are for this one. <laughs> <laughs> no, me either. I mean, yeah, that, uh, I think we talked about this in Deep In Ward, but um, I love how Wabo stories have so many threads going on. It's like the the truth is always a needle buried in a haystack. Mm. And in retrospect, it's always so obvious where it was, but you you don't usually see it as it's happening. It's so much fun. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, we'll see, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, sorry. Back to this chapter. Yeah. Um, uh, I do just uh, love uh, I, the I, the ballad that we hear. With like the fact that yeah. Totolo, we get to hear him swear because he doesn't realize there are people around. 
It's so fun to me. <laughs> yeah, seeing seeing the real Totsuo. Um, yeah, especially because uh, I looked up the real versions of this song, and he he actually embellishes the lyrics a fair bit. It's not that crude. Um, usually, he's he's sort of dirtying it up. Yeah. Classic. I don't know. Actually, there's there's been a lot of forms of it. Maybe the 17th century. That's just how gruesome it was. I don't Maybe know. Maybe Toad Swallow invented this song and has just perpetuated it throughout the centuries. <laughs> uh, Do we know how old the goblins are? I think we've asked that question before. Actually, yeah, I have no idea. Are they? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Are they immortal? I don't think so. Toad Swallow being 400 years old would go against my. He's some new type of goblin theory. Or maybe, I guess I said goblins kind of shackle off, um, like, labels and stuff, so maybe they change. Mm. Anyway, sorry, yeah, back to the chapter. Um, there's this great moment where, as they're trying to rescue Bray amongst the, the pink cloud of um, happiness, uh, where, like, Bray is doing that thing that people always try to do when they're being rescued without, you know, no, I've got to grab my hat. Um and what I loved about this is usually that pisses me off. In most things, I'm like, no, just leave your junk and get out of there. And this is like <laughs> the one time where I was like, we just had a whole bonus bit on all the cool shit she had. And I was like, yeah, we've got to get all this this shit. It's so cool. Yeah. Please don't leave it behind. Yeah. No. And when we find out that they're going to keep all the cool tricks at the end of the chapter, I was like, yes. This yeah, is what same, I live for. Same. Yeah. Um, anyway. And I mean, there's probably some symbolism to that just while we're talking about it. Like, they used up all of their tricks with they can at others but they 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 did it and they made new friends and now they're getting tricks from them <laughs> yeah we'll talk about that later i guess um so yeah Bree, they rescue Bree. the kennedys try and make a run for it but uh toad swallow and the goblins give chase and um yeah we get we get some hastily delivered exposition as they're running <laughs> yeah i mean Bree sort of goes on this whole thing about like how you know how much the choir didn't fix her problems and they talk about it a bit more later in the chapter too but i'll just group it all wait to talk about it here but um i mean (laughs) there's really just you can't help but feel like there's no hope in this world a little bit right because it's like even something like the hungry choir um it has like it's uh, somehow made her life worse than when she was literally poisoning herself Mm. like she's like oh no this isn't better than when i was eating batteries (laughs) It's like, okay, so <laughs> what? Um, yeah, it's pretty rough. I mean, no character exists in this world without a rough backstory, right? Yeah, yeah, true, true. I mean, I just love how this connects to, like, the the whole idea of, like, I think we originally sort of talked about The Hungry Choir as this, like, you know, get one of those, like, game shows, like American Idol or something, mm-hmm. and how they're, they're like, get-rich-quick get schemes, basically, that take advantage of the people. And I sort of feel like that, like, like Brie talks about how it reminds me of people who talk about winning the lottery, like any how it can actually make their lives worse because, you know, suddenly they're targeted by all these extra people. Um, they can't really connect with their other life because it completely changes all all their connections to their people. Like, you know, if 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 all your friends know that suddenly you've, you've earned thirty million dollars, they are just probably going to treat you a bit differently. Um. It, <sighs> Yeah, like I, I don't know. Like, I just, I just really like how it sort of connects. Like, it, it makes sense to me, but I'm just at the same time, I'm like, so what's the point <laughs> of, of anything in this world? Mm. It just all seems to make things worse. Um, you know, I, I think Lucy sort of even compares it to a bit. There's a bit where, um, when the gremlins get bounced back, and um, Bree is like, oh, 
he didn't tell me about that. And Lucy sort of connects it to the amount of time she said the same sort of thing. And she's like, yeah, you shouldn't be in this world, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, there's just, I mean, that's the sad thing. And that's the thing that makes this so unnerving constantly is it always seems like, oh, this is the next, this is the solution to my problem. But then you get to that solution and you realize, oh shit, this has its own whole suite of problems, right? There's no answers to anything in in um, in this universe. It's it's temporary solutions that bring their own problems that you now have to worry about. Yeah, or it's a, it's it's the get rich quick schemes that don't work, right? Like things, yes, something like the exactly. hungry choir, um, and these things are designed to prey on on people. Like, I I feel bad saying this, but so so Bree's plan is. She wants to keep the ritual going, and part of the reason they have to do that is because she needs to keep getting the benefits. Yes. The side effect of that is the Hungry Choir will still occasionally continue to get new people to keep it at its power level. She knows as a winner that it's actually made her life worse, and uh, this this Pika thing that she suffered from sounds like pretty fucking bad and like one of the best reasons you could sign up for the Choir. So I'm just sort of looking at it, and I'm going... At what point do you ask Brie if it's okay to just sacrifice her life to get rid of the choir completely? <sighs> like, I I feel terrible saying it, but you you know, like I think she like. At what point does she need to look at the bigger picture and just sort of give up to to save other people? Mm. I'm, not, I'm not saying she should be expected to do that, but um, I would think a good person would give it serious thought in her circumstance. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I agree, but. No one's ever gonna. It's hard to make that call for yourself, right? Of like, oh uh, yeah, yeah, I'll yeah. just die, and that's that's the <laughs> price I want to pay, right? I don't. Know. I feel like if she hadn't met Zed, um, she might be more willing to. But the fact that she's sort of found someone to fall in love with has probably yes. helped. I mean, she has um, more to live for, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, also, side note, but the. the Kenneteers here sort of talk about, and they seem to think that like the original intelligence of Yolda might actually be a part of the Hungry Choir. Like it wasn't yeah. just the power. They they specifically sort of allude to the fact that they think Yolda as an individual might exist somewhere in the chaos, which was a a, a specific point I hadn't noticed. Mm. Yeah, no, I agree with you. It's I don't know. I mean, we've seen it be intelligent before, right? We we saw things like when it yeah. almost tricked Avery into signing up, which was a, t- a total... And at the time, I think we even <laughs> said, hey, this seems like it's too smart for what we know of the Hungry Choir. And this is presumably the reason behind that is there is some sentience behind it that is more than a traditional incarnate ritual or whatever would have. Um, I mean, yeah, but but even then, I I might not have thought it was enough Yolda to really be worth mentioning as as yeah, part of her. Yeah, it, I, I guess it's just what this made me think as well is something I I'd been assuming um, since we learned it was Yolda was that like it had the Hungry Choir had been created. Um, whereas like like if it is Yolda sort of at the core of this, that actually leaves room for it just to be something she may be morphed into or, or like less of a like you, you know zed talks about using her for parts right mm. um i i see it as less of that it could be it could be like that that's what i'd been assuming had already happened to form the hungry choir whereas now i think maybe it could be somewhere more in the middle or just be totally natural but like 
like is this Yolda's response to being killed? Like it's it's interesting. It's, like we don't know in, yeah. anything about her personality, but I was even thinking this might be the closest she can get to helping people, like Bree, right? Like she's is this is this actually Yolda's attempt to shape herself into someone who actually can help people? Mm. Yeah, interesting. It, it, I could see it being either like her regaining some positivity or her manifesting some negativity, depending on her personality. We we really don't know enough to know if she's trying to be better than she is or if she's slipping into being mm. worse than she is, you know? Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, yeah, who knows? I mean, we're going <laughs> to, I don't know. I'm we're getting the feeling I'm getting the feeling for sure that things are coming to a head with Hungry Choir and Carmine Beast and it's all kind of coming together. Um yeah, so I'm it's sure funny. we'll like find a, out soon. About a week ago we were we were just talking on Facebook and we were so we sort of agree that we thought we were maybe a, about to hit the halfway point in the story. Yeah. After reading three point nine, I think maybe we could be even a bit further than that. Yeah, I feel like we're maybe three quarters of the way through, if not more. Yeah. Um, now which is weird that these chapters have just made us feel like we're so much further than we are you know what it is i feel like the fact that we've finally spoken to louise we'll talk yeah about that, the fact that we've finally spoken to louise feels like it's marking the beginning of the end to me well it wasn't just that we spoke to louise it was a lot of stuff came out of it well yes true and, um, and she it was felt like useful. okay <laughs> yeah we're narrowing in yes um, but yeah, uh, so speaking of, um, we also should talk about this moment. Uh, so just to take everyone back, we're still running along the, the railway tracks, um, away from the goblins and, uh, total tries to call in reinforcements and, uh, he, you know, he calls John, uh, he even calls Guillaume and he does get stopped from, uh, calling in Marisica, um, mm. which is definitely this moment. Cause the fact that like a goblin is calling, the fairy because we know how much these two groups hate each other it, it's already like a big deal that he was willing to call them um but then that, that kind of gets overshadowed by this this uh detail blunt munch let's slip that uh it's to do with the way the votes went why they're particularly mad at marissa yeah. right now which is crazy like the i'm i was really confused about this because obviously we we see Guillaume is on team kennetia later right like so yeah are both the Fae just, like, on their team? But the other thing is, okay, here's the other point, is we get that beat next chapter where they touch on how they went and visited the cave, the Fae cave, and there was this weird kind of, like, frosty vibe with Marisica. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so now I'm like, well, wait, but from that it sounds like Marisica isn't on their team. So I really just have no idea what to make of it, unless the goblin, unless this is like a, a big double bluff and they don't want to call Marisica because she's actually, you know, the people that they call are the ones that are actually pro-Kenneteer and not anti-Kenneteer for some reason. Yeah, or, or you know, it, it could be Marisica and Guillaume putting up appearances by keeping the distance from them. Yeah. Like, like, I don't know. Um, but who do they the call the him, right? They call Matthew, they call John, they call Guillaume, right? Do they call Edith? I can't remember, but at least Matthew yeah. and Guillaume on Team Kennetier, right? Pretty, pretty firmly from what we see in this chapter and next chapter. John, yeah. you can kind of see him going either way, but I can see him being on their team. So weirdly, the goblins call what seem like the most 
positive but i guess they don't have that many choices who else would they fucking call i don't know yeah, but also if they were calling the positive like the positive people that would imply they're probably on that too and there weren't enough positive votes for that to be the case yeah so like it's like in that case you'd actually want marisica if she voted the same as you so it, it in my mind I'm, I'm assuming this has to be about the vote on whether or not to teach bindings right and that means i also sort of have to assume that Marissica voted yes. Mm. Um, and then theoretically also, that means Matthew, John, and whoever else didn't vote. Yeah, at least one of them didn't. But it, it mm. definitely adds like, I don't know, a fucking fairy, man. Um, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> who, knows, who knows with them? It's just like, I feel like half the time I bring up fairy-isms and it's just like, so this tells us this about the fairy. Don't know how that fits into yeah, the greater context. We'll have to wait yeah, till they exactly. do. <laughs> Uh, yikes. Um, um, yeah, there's just too many layers going on here to really know what's going on. Yeah. Um, it, we should also, like, give credit. This is a very, like, intense action scene. Like, I was on the edge of my seat. Um, especially because I kept having to remind myself during the fight that no one can actually really hurt anyone else. Mm. Um, like, Bree is actually the only person who's really injurable in this entire situation. Um, or, or, you know, she can also do the injuring, I suppose. Um, but it's like it simultaneously highlighted to me how bullshit the idea of, like, this, these peace deals are because you can still basically be actively in combat and just not taking kill shots and it kind of counts. Um, but it creates a really different and, like, fun kind of tension as well where there's, like, this chase scene, but, you know, everyone is holding back a bit and focusing on, like you know, tripping you up rather yeah. than, like, taking you out. <laughs> the goblins are perfect for it as well because it does feel a bit slapstick, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's a very fun vibe. Um, also, also, just, just before we move on from this section, I do need to highlight there's a moment where Verona turns into a fucking bird for a second <laughs> to jump over the, the tar stuff. Um, it's just, she's such a ledge. Um... I, I actually no. And there's also the bit where Bree bites into a goblin, which like what? <laughs> That's Bree, my what? favorite bit. Where <laughs> where Bree weaponizes her eating disorder, basically, is what is happening here. Um, well, at this point, it's more of an eating power. Yeah, I guess. But yeah, <laughs> I, like it's just because, <laughs> like, what a terrible enemy to decide to try and use it against. They're like the <laughs> grossest thing ever. Yes. Um, God, yeah, you really wouldn't want to eat a goblin, but that's life. Um, yeah, so anyway. Uh, so, yeah, they, 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 there's this uh, slapstick fighting sequence, they're running away, and the group makes it to the train station, and we get a, bit, a brief rest as they've summoned the, um, the regular show ghost to fight some goblins uh, before Bree uses the sticky keyboard uh, to uh, release some gremlins. Yeah. I, it, like, cause we don't know, wait, what's the difference between a gremlin and a goblin? It's, it seems like there is one. I think but they it's also just seem... to do with feeding them after midnight is the only difference, as far as I know. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know, because like Blunt Munch obviously kind of takes over them. So is it just different nomenclature, or is there some sort of technical difference between a gremlin and a goblin? Yeah, I don't know. There must be some um, some difference, like, uh, but who knows. Yeah, I mean, they're clearly related enough, like, that Blunt Munch could control them, so yeah, exactly. they're, they're similar. There's clearly something but, um, there. Yeah. Um. So, <laughs> yeah, so I guess should we touch on the fact that we've we've already talked about this a bit, but the just the idea that there's 
they're really just like using up all their tricks here, right? Like they they just yeah. completely burn through basically every well, not everything. The the hot lead they've burned through. They've burned through a lot of goblin tricks. Um, the nettle wisp. Uh, they haven't used up the dog tags, but yeah, they they chew through like a good chunk of glamour. Um, it, it's like yeah, a lot of stuff like Verona loses ten hours worth of drawing. Um, yeah, I mean they yeah. burn through a lot for you know just getting Bree out of here and and not actually going up against. Not, well, not taking much from anyone else, you know? Like, it just costs them a lot to mm. get Bree out. Mm. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Just using up their bag of tricks. I guess they get Technomancer tricks after this, but it doesn't feel like that's... I feel like It does feel like that's a downgrade, right? Yeah, I mean, in part because, like, I, I feel like a big part of their strength has just been this diversity of stuff they've had. Mm. Um, like, they've had so many different tools, and they're kind of losing a, a bit of a part of that. I mean, you had they had to use them eventually, I suppose, but yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So good times. Um, so they 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 more or less get away uh, before they run into the big bad of the chapter, Gillamay, uh, and immediately <laughs> the cone shifts to being like, "Oh shit, this is actually a threat now," <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I I, I love this because Gillamay shows up and. Yeah. I was immediately like, oh, oh shit. Uh, okay, yeah. like, yeah, this the shit's real now. Um, and then he basically challenges Lucy to 1v1 <laughs> in IRL. Um, and then it, it's like the fear didn't go away, but excitement got added to it. And I think that's what I love about the fairy is how they make me feel simultaneously terrified. It's like the part of me that is empathizing and and putting myself in the story like immersing myself is terrified but the part of me that is just like reading the story and, and mm. appreciating it appreciating it like as a separate thing is is just as excited and it's, it's just weird conflict of emotions and i just <laughs> just like that the whole time it was going on i was like hating myself because gilmo sets it up and I, I was like this sounds achievable she could make him bleed a little bit and, and like the other part of me is like, Elliot, you know that she can't. Yeah, you know he wouldn't do this if, if yeah. she can. The, the <laughs> fact that Guillaume sets up this challenge implicitly means that he can't. Like, she just has no chance. Yeah, uh, but there was a part of me like, oh, maybe she'll surprise him. She'll be quicker than he thinks. It's just oh, like, no, maybe. she won't. Yeah. But, um, like, I just I just love fairies. <laughs> this is like, it's so stupid and theatrical. And you've got all the goblins off on the side. And, like, you got Todd so it's like, this is fucking stupid. Can you just grab her? And he's like, no, I must mm. fight her. It must be fair. <laughs> I love it. Ah. <sighs> Yeah. Um, so yeah, this this is a great sequence, right? It's very elaborate. Mm. It's this weird challenge. It's very fairy. Um, and then obviously we find out it's a fake. Um, mm. But uh, as we, I don't know. There's just a lot to read into with this jewel, right? Like, so <laughs> the thing that really got to me about it was when Gilame turns into like young Gilame form, um, sexy distraction Gilame. Yes, exactly. The amount of times that Lucy comments on how attractive young Gilame is is so worrying to me and it makes me feel like that plus the fact that he's clearly like being very buddy buddy with them and has been this entire story makes me feel like he's trying to become a familiar to one of them for some reason. Um I was actually just as you started that I was having the thought I was like, well, now that John's out of the picture for Lucy's right? familiar. Yeah. Um 
I don't know. But I, I, again, I don't think we know enough about that to know what the motivation is there. But it just, he's just creepy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially because like, it's so obvious, even in Lucy's head, like he's just fucking toying with her for the whole fight. Like it, it he he's basically dancing and she's trying to fight. It's kind of how it felt to me. It reminded yeah. me of um it, it reminded me of like some of the Avatar The Last Airbender bits where like Aang will just like, you know, zip around people and like dodge their attacks. Mm. Like Gilbay just in my head he was just moving so fluidly that it's just like not even close at all. He's just he feels like he's just toying with her, right? Like there's no yeah, yeah. He's never in any slight danger. No, I don't. I don't think he was. Yeah. Um, also, because he's a good showman, uh, he monologues a bunch because he gets asked some little questions and he answers them <laughs> absurdly thoroughly. Um, and, and we got to talk about this because it's, it's really juicy stuff. Like he talks about why he's in Kennet, um, which is basically that. Uh, he decided for a kick that he wanted to feel the deepest love possible. So he found this guy, fell in love with him. It sounds like it was maybe a human guy. Um, it's, it's not actually said, but that was the impression I got. But anyway, they basically both glamoured up their hearts so that the love they were feeling was like the as deep as it sort of possibly can be. Um, and in just this sort of ultimate example of the fairy condition, uh, spent a whole lifetime with him and now is like exiled himself in mourning, um, which is also very dramatic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, but just this whole story is insane. Like who, <laughs> who's like, I need to feel the deepest love. And so I'm going to find someone I love artificially increase it. Um, and then like, I don't know, go, go live in a weird, podunk town for a couple of years after the fact what's your read on this elliot what's your read on this backstory i mean insane <laughs> like, like um I, I mean you know he can't lie so he, he sort of must be telling the truth but like yeah i don't know like i don't i don't know <laughs> the fairies man <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know you can never you feel like you can never take them at their word right yeah, I, I'm kind of willing to just take this up front. I feel like Guillermo's this really interesting. Like Marisica, I, I feel like whenever she says something, there's some hidden meaning or something. Like she's a trickster. Whereas Guillermo's this like the, the the sort of recurring beat has been um like oh, what what do they sort of say? It's like more subtle, but like mm. also more direct. Mm. Um, so I, I, I think he's genuine here. I don't know how genuine the morning is or whether he just feels that it's part of the process, mm. like part of the show. Um, I guess it comes down to how much fairies can feel actual love and all that, but like, he doesn't really seem like someone who's mourning at this point. Cause he's fucking around with all this bullshit. Um, yeah, it's, he's, he hasn't been very somber, has he? Like, no, exactly. Um, <laughs> uh, he's been rather the opposite, honestly. Um, so I, I don't know how I feel about the the morning specifically, but I'm inclined to believe that he believes the rest of it. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, th- then there's this bit about the love letter, which seemed a little odd to me. Like, what's the power that that has? Is that really worth Marisica giving up many, many years of her life to go after? I mean, I don't know, maybe for fairy that it's worth it, but. Yeah, it's an interesting little wrinkle of, of stuff. Because um, basically, I guess, like, if I'm, 
if I'm at all right that it was like a, a human who who passed away that the Gilmay was in love with, mm. why would some human person's letter matter to the fairy courts? Because it sounds like this is well, like a, a small piece that would help the courts just completely fall apart. Um, which sounds like a really fucking big deal. Um, mm. so yeah, like it's 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 very curious. Um, I. Yeah, I don't know. Like maybe Gilhame is is a prince or something, and he's important, and that's where the letter comes in. I don't know. Mm, yeah, who knows? I don't know. Is it? It's hard to know if it's just like fairy are so starved for things to do that that's enough to to spend years of your life on, <laughs> or if there's some <laughs> deeper meaning to this love letter. Um, we still do have some suspicious Gilhame bits and pieces, right? Like the fact that he. Yeah. Went off to have a strange, curious meeting with somebody that you won't tell anyone about. Um, I don't yeah, know. exactly. Uh, I mean, you know, that could be out of the bounds of of any of the stuff we really have to worry about. As he says, it's like your great grandchildren could have died of old at age by the time these things actually happen. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's hard to know what's relevant with the Fae, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. They've got so many schemes going on. Um, I, I mean, I think the other thing here is like this idea that the courts can go through these upheavals like mm. Guillaume seems to apply it's such a fundamental thing they'd actually lose this like seasons motif that they've got mm. right now um which is like i, I don't know we, we heard in arc two about how the spirit world was becoming a bit different when they went there um we're obviously dealing with technomancers a lot now and the sort of cutting edge uh stuff relating to magic and meaning um I wonder if I wonder if that's related at all. Like it, you know, that, that's come cropping up. I think a bit more as a, a theme of things like how the world is is changing, and you know, I think that ties into this other stuff we've talked about with like justice and um, you know, e- equality being mm. themes of the story. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. Um, so yeah, uh, Lucy loses this duel or we get to this point where Guillaume is kind of saying to Lucy, okay, now just give up. And Lucy's kind of like, what? But when she finally <laughs> does, we find out uh, this was all just a big ruse and the, the others have completely escaped <laughs> like from some fucking Looney Tunes cartoon. Um, the, there's this <laughs> smoky after image of where they were, but they've just dashed <laughs> off is what it felt like to me at least. Um, oh yeah. I, and what's, we all this was all Verona. Um yeah. I I mean I, I think the best thing about this like this twist that Guillaume was in on it is um and this was only obvious to me on my second read through. There's a bit where like as it's starting, um and he's like walking towards Lucy to begin the fight, he sort of turns to the goblins and he's like, You need to watch the rest of them. And in retrospect, that's so obviously him like counting on the contrary na- nature of goblins to then stop watching them. Mm. <laughs> Um, it's also great, like plausible deniability. He can be like, I told them to watch them. Mm. This isn't on me. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's classic fey goblin like spat. And I I get the sense that Gilame, part of the reason Gilame did this was just to get one over on the goblins, right? Like (laughs) just to be like, yeah, fuck you. I don't want to begin theorizing on what his motivations can be. Um, I just love how, like, again, like, just walk on the ferry. Like, the fact that Guillaume is seemingly on the side with them didn't make me feel any better. Like, it sort of happens, and I'm like, somehow the fact that he's on side makes me more worried than if he was against them. Mm. Yeah, interesting. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm, 
I'm pro Guillaume after this. <laughs> I, I've always been suspicious because of the fairy that it just feels like there's so many horrible things that can go wrong. But I don't know. He's he's uh, been elevated here. I mean, I'm very pro Guillaume in the sense that I want to see more of him in the story. Um, but like, I also don't want him to interact with any of the characters in the story. Mm. If that makes sense. I worry every time he's on there, but I also I can't get enough of him. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I, I'm going to be so sad when, when he does some horrifically evil thing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, uh, I'm jumping ahead a bit, but if Marissica's involved in all this Carmine Beast bullshit, mm. wouldn't it be funny if that's all just a distraction to get this note? <laughs> like <laughs> The whole Carmine Beast thing has just been to get this yeah. fucking love letter. And then the story ends with her getting it and then just fucking you know, putting it on her blog and making fun of Guillaume or some nonsensical yeah, like, shit. Yeah, like, actually is on the Kenneteer's side, and he has been, and Marissa knew that would happen. This whole thing has been designed <laughs> to put him in a situation where she can get the note. Ah, <laughs> oh, I hope that's it. I hope that's it. <laughs> do I? No, I do. <laughs> um... um. Anyway, so, yeah, so Lucy catches up to the others. They've kind of been dealing with Zed, um, or as we call him, Zed. Uh, and so... Wait, we do? What? Yeah, that's how it's pronounced. Z. It's, okay. it's not Zed, it's Z. Oh, okay, sorry, I get it. Okay, no, I just got that. Anyway. Um, anyway. I mean, he's Canadian, it's Zed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, Zed has agreed to leave Canada alone in exchange for some hints with, with THC and... Uh, getting Brie back, I guess. Yeah. And, like, I mean, I'll, I'll, Matthew touches on this next chapter, but, like, my response to, to seeing that this was the deal was, like, doesn't this seem like exactly the kind of shit the Kenneth others would be on board with? Like, maybe aside from the stabbing the hungry choir in the back thing, there are obviously people who don't agree with that. But, like, I was kind of like, okay, I feel like these relationships are going to be salvageable now because a big part of the end results of this whole bullshit is that Zed has now promised to leave the town alone, which is the exactly the stopgap measures that um, all the Kennet others are so keen on. Mm. Mm. Yeah. <sighs> I think it's good. Uh, yeah. I, I, I'm like, you know, we, the external practitioners were set up as this big threat, right? Like, it yeah. was set up as the the whole reason for everything that's happening in Kennet with with the trio, right? Um, is to protect yeah. Kennet from external practitioners. Is this fine? Is this has this always been fine? And they're just too nervous. I don't know. Maybe Zed is just a good example, and Alex is, was a bad example. So maybe I'm maybe that's incorrect. Yeah, I mean we'll see, but it certainly seems like the people on top are the scariest and the worst, which is probably a very important part of it all. Um, well, let's let's get there when we get there in the in yeah. the extra material. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, they they get the. I mean, they call it junk, which is offensive. Lucy calls it junk. It's <laughs> clearly great. Uh, they they get a, they get all the cool technomancer tricks. Um, I mean, everybody loves a sticky keyboard, right? <laughs> I mean, that's the first thing I do whenever I uh, install a new version of Windows is turn off sticky keys. So no, <laughs> the answer. Um, oh boy. <laughs> What a specific stupid reference. Uh, anyway, so then this chapter ends with uh, with Lucy heading back into Kennet and and kind of worrying about the aftermath of what they've just done, um, and that's more or yeah. less where we pick up next chapter. 
Yeah, um, it sort of jumps ahead uh, to the the next day, and we jump into Avery's head. Yep. Um, Avery is at the shops with her family, or specifically with her mother, and with Carrie, and Carrie's friend, and with Declan, Declan, and Declan two and three. Declan and the Declans. Yeah, which is their band that they also are in. (laughs) Um, Anyway, yeah, so just a fun shopping trip. Yeah, I I mean, the the chapter basically opens with, like, Avery disassociating uh, in the middle of this shop, and she has this moment that, like, I feel like we can all relate to. Like, there's that little idea of when you're a bit off kilter or or something, like, you, you just notice something about somewhere you go all the time like you'll just you'll just notice something like at the front of your house or something and it's like i've never really paid attention to you know the 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 branch of this tree mm. that's so weird um and, and i i sort of like really connected to that and then it sort of goes on and, and avery sort of talks more about like all the smells of things and how it's affecting here and i sort of realized oh this isn't like she's just having a bit of an off kilter noticing different details moment she's just like straight up like dealing with trauma mm. uh, and kind of like zoning out um her mum sort of has to call her back into reality um <laughs> yes it, it really it, it sets the tone for this chapter of like oh boy yeah what is going on with avery right like it's, i don't know what it is we get a few hints this chapter that things just aren't okay for avery right now she's really there's just some stuff going on that indicates She's really not in a good place. I guess this is just kind of this hasn't been this has been the case since the 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 forest forest Reuben trail, but I don't know. It just really comes comes out this chapter. Yeah, I mean it's arguably been a problem since before the story even started. Yeah, true. Um to some degree. But uh yeah, she's she's sort of I mean look, she's she's a high functioning glamour addict at this point. That's something that really came came to the fore in this chapter like she's using glamour mm. um to to i mean she's using it like cocaine or something basically she, to, to sort she uses of it to change her just to like fix up her hair like for very minor uses yeah. as well like it's it's really i don't know it, it's really just she's she she you say you joke about it being like cocaine but it does feel like she's just kind of formed a dependency on it yeah, no, no, I'm I'm not really joking at all. Like it's mm. it's you know whenever she sort of has this good moment, so like she's using it as a pick me up. Like it's it's absolutely a dependency, um, and you know that can only go well. Uh, yeah, I I mean, yeah, I, I guess we'll see where it goes. But the, I definitely was like looking at all the glamour use this chapter and just going like, this is just not healthy and and like she's made strides forward like the the first ribbon trail did do some cool stuff for her but she's she's trying to almost treat it like and now i'm fixed and i'm good Mm. um and and sort of using the glamour to help try and make that the truth um there's a bit particularly later in this chapter that i think i want to talk about where we see that that's just not the case like you know she's she's better but in in some ways she's almost more traumatized and um you know she's not like fixed Mm. Yeah, hundred um, uh, percent. But can we give props to Avery's mum for really putting her finger right on that? Yeah, yeah. Avery's mum kills it this chapter. Yeah, I, I know we've we've sort of like on Avery's parents in the past. It's sort of been like, oh, they seem like they're trying, but sometimes they just get too distracted, or like, mm. you know, they clearly drop the ball when she had the the isolation stuff before the story started. Mm. 
like they, they clearly don't have a perfect track record but like avery's mom i think does a stellar job at mumming uh this chapter yeah of all the parents in the lives of the kennett trio um avery's mum really has been the only one to put a put the nail you know hit the nail exactly on the head in terms of being like hey i know it seems like everything's kind of fine with you avery but I just have this horrible suspicion that something terrible is happening with you. Is anything like yeah. that going on? And Avery's like, oh, no. But obviously, <laughs> like, that's exactly what's happening. Yeah, I mean, it's also the thing where she's like, I'm worried about the thoughts that are in your head. And Avery's like, you don't want to worry about the thoughts that are in my head. Even I don't want to worry about the thoughts that are in my head. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, so Avery, she's take right. A, take a beat, man. <laughs> like, God. Um. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially and again, right? There's another bit with the stuff with Verona's dad later. Um, I, w- I want to talk about as well, just like mm-hmm. how well, um, Avery's mum I think reacts to this and just sort of tries to reach out and and makes the time for Avery, which is really just what she needs. And I hope, I hope this sort of continues to happen and works out. Mm. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Also, on the topic of the like the the tieflings that are uh, the Declans and and Carrie and Kinley, yeah. um, could we, <laughs> the hilarity of playing statues as a game <laughs> has just clearly started as the ultimate like parenting tool for like, hey, um, whichever one of you shuts up for the longest can have an ice cream or some shit, <laughs> and it's just evolved into like a family tradition. Yeah, I love that it worked really well on Sheridan and Rowan, and then it just yeah. obviously hasn't worked because it's ridiculous. And of course, um, there's a moment where one of the Declans mentions that it seems lame, yeah. and <laughs> and I I just can see. Um, Avery's mum being like, "No, please, no, please, this is, <laughs> this is all I have." <laughs> uh. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, it was great. Yeah. Anyway, um, so yeah, uh, Avery bumps into Matthew and Edith here, and they have this very awkward chat about like, "Hey, are we cool?" Yeah. Honestly, I mean, Avery goes on and on about wanting to be in a relationship and stuff. This feels like what it's like to talk to an ex. Mm. Um, it, it's funny how, like, and you are, you sort of already touched on this, after the very grandiose and combative nature of the previous chapter slash last night, um, I was surprised at how, like, chill and, and civil this was like i really feel like both avery and matthew and edith when she gets to talk um are really cool <laughs> um and, yeah, and kind of sure. like you know it's like oh how are you feeling i'm very hurt by what happened well so are we yeah it's just kind of like okay like this is a really good dialogue that's happening here yeah. um, there's you, still a chance you can kind of tell that um that they kind of have to play the politics and not you know, not be like, ah, oh, we want to try and resolve this because there's still obviously enough going on with the Kenneth others, the other Kenneth others that are not pro Kenneth trio. Um, but it, it is nice that they are, you know, at least being like, hey, like we're still allies, like we still want this to work. We're going to put in the effort. You know, it's it's good stuff. Yeah, yeah, and like Edith still says she'll give them lessons and stuff. Yeah, although by the end of the chapter, that all might be some evil ploy. Um, <laughs> lessons in murder, she means. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. A- Avery definitely continues her read of Matthew 
being a bit dominating over Edith. There's just these little subtle bits of narration where it's always like Edith talk, oh, Matthew talked over Edith or Matthew said not really addressing Edith's comment. Um, so Avery definitely seems to still think there's something up there. Mm. Um, but Matthew does teach us about um, people who are aware. Like that is, that is our sort of term for people who know about magic and stuff, but they're not like awakened. They're not like full on practitioners. Mm. Um, and like, you know, some people do this on purpose to basically have snowdrops, um, like people who can lie, um, but not as cool, obviously, as the actual snowdrop. Um, but like, I feel, I feel like this is really good info for us to have because like, I'm sure all of us reading the story have at some sort of time thought the Kennedys should, should let someone know about the the magic and stuff. And uh, I mean, even the Kennedy's like Lucy thought about Booker. Um, I doubt Verona's has actually really thought about doing that to anyone, but um, mm. and now we sort of know the risks and benefits associated with that, like particularly the risks, which is that others and stuff will sort of gravitate towards them since they're no longer innocent. Um, and you bear like a sort of karmic responsibility you're on the karmic hook for if anything bad happens to them. Yeah. So it seems like it's it's a pretty risky strategy to to bring people on. Yes. Um now, am I being tinfoil here, or is it too much of a coincidence that Matthew comes up with this right when Avery's mum is like, you know, starting to coax and uh prod at what's going on with Avery? Is this secretly them being like no no you can't talk to your parents about this or is that <laughs> am i reading too much I, into it i don't think so but i can't conclusively say that i would rule that out um i i mean i feel like booker is probably the closest any kennedy has come to genuinely considering letting someone in like lucy lucy to booker mm-hmm. i don't know yeah uh <sighs> Also, Matthew tells us how divided all the Kennet others are. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, we we knew. <laughs> I, I think, like, we, we all knew that, but it, yeah. it's, it's the first time we've actually sort of had one of them admit it, where it's like pretty much the only thing we agree on is that we like Kennet. Um, <laughs> yeah. The rest God. of it's a clusterfuck. Oh, poor. Without having Miss, it's just, it is just a mess, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, Miss just has such a good intuition and a way of like telling people why they should do what she wants them to do and why it's better for everyone. Yeah. Um. And just without that, it's sort of, you know, everyone, everyone's just sort of defaulting to to their instincts, and it, there's no leader to sort of convince them otherwise. Mm. And there's such a diverse set of others. Like just with fairy and goblin alone, you're almost never going to get a unanimous vote, right? I mean, yeah, hundred percent, and not not least to mention that the hungry choir is theoretically a part of their voting process if they want to be. Yeah, theoretically. <laughs> um, there's a lot of messy situations going on with the management of this town. Mm. Anywho, uh, Avery leaves behind uh, Matthew and Edith and goes to to join the rest of the uh, rest of her family before bumping into a more horrifying uh, beast. Verona's dad, and he's got TV dinners. <laughs> yeah, absolutely the most terrifying monster in the in the store. And that's including yeah. all three Declans. Fan art of monsters um, uh, during a week, so <laughs> Verona's dad got in now. <laughs> Verona's dad loading up on TV dinners. Um, 
is would be an iconic monster picture. Um, yeah. I, so one little beat from this before we dive into the the mumming and the and the um Verona's dad stuff. Um, yeah. there's like this little moment where Kinley, who's Carrie's friend, yes. Um, I mean, basically, she sort of says so. It, 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 it seemed to me like basically Kinley might have a bit of a crush on Avery. Yeah, definitely. Kinley acts in a very adorable little kid way. Yeah, um, which is just funny because Avery doesn't seem to clock this at all. Mm. Um, it does Avery register. So clearly she needs more confidence. Got to use up a bit more glamour, I think, to <laughs> yeah, sure he's get Avery more glamour, on the glamour. I'm sure that will help. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. But it's just uh, like... Some of that has. I'm now at this point with the glamour hanging over us. I'm at this point where where something good is happening to Avery like this. Like, like I, I would normally be like, hey, you should use it. Like, this is a confidence booster, you know? Like, somebody thinks you you seem really confident and cool. But the glamour kind of undermines that all for me now. And I'm like, oh, but anything good that's happening is just going to kind of be like cast on the glamour. Like, it just casts a shadow over everything kind of good that is happening to her. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. And it it makes it feel like, to me at least, that the victories she's, the minor victories she's having are like in some way lessened or like not as earned, you know, which I I guess is unfair, but I don't know. The thing is, is they worry me because if the glamour becomes a problem, then it feels like all of them could go away. Like that's the whole thing about glamour is it's, it's it's there until it's broken. Yes. Right? So it, it makes these things feel a bit more fragile. Yeah, sure. Um yeah. Uh but anyway, yeah, and so then um again, Avery's mum killing it with being a mum. Um mm-hmm. she her her like line of questioning and, and level of concern relating to all the Verona's dad bullshit uh seemed spot on to me. She she has that moment where she has to fight her instinct to become a helicopter mum. <laughs> Um, which is just particularly ironic given Avery's history. Yeah. Um, like I even think there's that bit where she sort of explains like, okay, well, I don't want to smother you, but also I don't want to, um, like, you know, give you too much space because we've seen how that goes. Yeah. Um, like she's just communicating with her in a very adulty way. And that's what sort of Avery directly brings up. And I was just like, he's just, you're killing it. Avery's mom. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, yeah, it's good. It's so good, right? Like, ah, oh, it's so nice having good parents. <laughs> especially, especially when they're, they're being good parents by shitting on Verona's dad. Yeah, exactly. I mean, maybe we just, it, it is just the fact that Ver- Verona's dad or VD exists in this story that makes this feel so refreshing. Um, I don't know. Mm. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I, I'm so interested to see where all this sort of stuff goes. But yeah. uh, we, I think we have a section break there because we jump forward to Avery waiting yep. for everyone uh, on the roof of a cafe. Yeah. Um, and, you know, waiting for, for uh, Verona and Lucy uh, and Snowdrop comes along. Yay, Snowdrop, back in the story. <laughs> Always a treat. Before Snowdrop shows up, there's this like... So Avery basically finally has this point where she has to sit alone with her thoughts because she's gotten there before everyone else. Mm. Um, so she has to sit still. Like, she can't keep moving. Um, there's no one around to distract her. Like, like you know, like the, the hustle and bustle of her house kind of keeps her from pondering her thoughts. Mm. Um, so she basically has to sit here and think um, 
And that turns into basically her realizing how desperate she still is for a, rel- a relationship. Yeah. Um, it, to the point where she's like, oh, that's probably what pushed Olivia away. Like, you know, she, mm. she, I was I was too clingy is sort of the, the point she sort of talks around. Um, uh. And just thinking about how sad she is about Olivia. Um, she pictures what it would be like to go on a date and have someone to hug. And she's picturing Miss Hardy in that, which still just doesn't feel very healthy. <laughs> um, yeah, like it's just, it's also like she gets some time alone with her thoughts. And it's just like, yeah, she's in a, a pretty dark place. Yeah. Um oh man yeah the the stuff with olivia as well really hit me just like oh yeah shit of course this was a very formative crush for her and so now it's become this like horrifyingly painful thing for her to think about and and really feeds into this isolation complex that she has yeah yeah absolutely and like just so so obviously um like snowdrop shows up and i feel like avery (laughs) kind of immediately enters mum mode yeah um which is great because she kind of emulated her own mum and, and and kicked ass uh, similarly. But it made me realize, like, as Avery's thinking all this stuff about the relationship and wanting someone to hold, but they have to be dateable, and I think she says this as she starts to hug Snowdrop, it really made me realize how much the universe has kind of monkey-poured her wish for a companion by giving her Snowdrop because she's gotten someone who will, you know, always be on her side and have her back. She's got that someone who hugs her. Mm. but it's not someone she could sort of be romantically with. And that seems to, at least to Avery, be like at the moment, a very important part of that whole dynamic. Like she wants uh, a partner and what what she's sort of gotten in Snowdrop is someone who's obviously great. Like we all love Snowdrop, but it's both simultaneously exactly what she does and does not need. Mm. Um, I hate saying something bad about Snowdrop, but it's always just sort of clicked for me that, um, She's gotten someone in her life, but it's just not quite the f- framing she wanted for that. And it's, um, you know, I, I, it's just, it, it sucks uh, on some level that she's got Snowdrop, but she doesn't have what she really wants. Mm, yeah. I don't know. I'm, I get what you mean. And I do agree that a relationship would be quite formative for Avery, but I'm, I'm like, relationships can be messy and i'm just kind of like i i'm just glad that avery has dependable people in her life and even one like obviously the trio is that and now snowdrop is that i think a few more of those and i'll be very like okay avery now you've got a good stable base of friends that you can rely on go off and have potentially dangerous uh, emotional experiences i feel like (laughs) the three of these are uh, girls are in such a well maybe lucy a little bit less so but even not to that large of an extent i feel like they're in such a precarious emotional place that i'm just nervous about any anything that could happen to them (laughs) yeah like i should say i don't think that snowdrop is is bad for avery or not what she actually needs but it's not what she Mm. wants if that makes sense like it's sort of the the universe has kept a sort of yearning like you know if snowdrop had manifested as something like five years older and been like another teenager mm. you know, like you could, you could just be such a very different dynamic that could kind of be giving avery what she needs and that's not how it went and uh, for some reason that it only just sort of clicked for me as, as something that was actually a possibility yeah yeah i don't know well I, i'm just i'm just glad that she has support you know i'm not i don't <laughs> yeah. have a question avery's much. 
Avery's very much in that point right now, you know, they talk about it's like you've got to be okay with yourself and work on yourself before you can be in a relationship. Mm. And I, I feel like Avery's still there. Um, and, and right now the problem is, is that she's working on herself with glamour, which I don't think is the right way to do this. Mm. Yeah, 100%. I agree with that. <laughs> Um, so yeah, the group, uh, gather and, uh, kind of a, a chit chatting about the town as they head to see Louise. Finally, we get this interview with Louise. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I guess I'm jumping ahead a bit in the notes, but like, I've been feeling since 3.8 that we were going to have like a Zed or Bree interlude fighting the hungry choir. Mm. Um, and the fact that we just did the final interview has made, like, I'm, I'm willing to bet the next chapter which is the one that's probably releasing as we're recording right now, oh, yeah. um, is going to be that Hungry Choir interlude fight. Do you want me to go check and see if you're correct? I mean, sure. I'm going to see if it's out yet. It's not. Never mind. As we're recording, it's <laughs> not yet released, folks. Um, yeah, but I actually, I mean, originally this was the guess I had at the end of 3.8, so I'm just kind of taking my guess and saying, but this time I, for I sure. I agree with you. Like, the fact <laughs> that it was so explicitly set up and we got, I mean, the sunny day logs are like, and here's the group we're going to put together for this fight. Exactly. Like, it just feels <laughs> like we're about to see the fight. It, it can't be more than a few chapters away. Yeah. Well, and, and like, it would make sense to me to end things, you know, not just looking at the arc's length already, but end things kind of on the final interview. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, and the revelations we get at the end of this chapter. So we'll see. Sh- but, should um, we d- jump to those? I mean, you know, the, the Louise stuff. Uh, basically, we we retrace Louise's steps and we kind of see all of this stuff again, but with the the trio getting their their kind of perspective on it, which is yeah, good. Was, but just before we do, I, I had two quick things I wanted to mm. talk about from the, the the sort of the on the way to Louise where they have this sort of discussion. Because um, first of all, one of the things that comes up is that Lucy and Verona went to get uh, more more glamour. Uh, basically, you know. Uh, Avery needs more more of the stuff. Um, the other two went and got it. And it it's just like, okay, so one of these girls getting addicted to glamour just feels like fairy bullshit. Yeah. Um, and I'm in, intensely worried for when it's Avery's turn to go and get the glamour. Um, because I don't think anyone else has clocked onto the fact that she's kind of like, you know, be, becoming dependent on it. And I don't think that like, the fairy would necessarily need this event to happen to know. They probably already know w- what's happening to her, but them being her dealers and when she shows up, they like drastically increase the price all of a sudden just feels, you know, like a trap that's almost too obvious that it'll be something worse than that. Mm, yeah. <sighs> I, yeah. Who knows what it's going to like. The fact that we've got so much dodgy glamour stuff in this chapter is just, it means something dodgy is going to happen right yeah yeah i I feel i feel like this is going to be something that explodes in the next arc yeah um they also sort of recap where everyone's at um not just like the (laughs) so alpiana who wasn't involved in any of this her response has just sort of been i don't want to get involved in the politics of all this Mm. which is just i mean there's always got to be one of them doesn't there there's (laughs) there's always got to be someone who stays out of the politics of the situation and of course it would be like that just yeah, makes I had a good so chuckle sense. Yeah, that was one of those. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. Moments. It was hilarious. Um, yeah. So yeah. So they go through, and we get these beats of um, 
of the Kennet Trio as they retrace these steps. And we kind of get this thing of like the things that we kind of knew about the Carmine Beast and that night, but had written off as like, oh, this is just a quirk of the night, uh, are kind of recontextualized now through the eyes of the Kennet Trio. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think like this is a really fun interview to do last mm. because it's it's our sort of first interview where it feels like the Kennedy is actually no more yes. than the person they're interviewing. Like yeah. this was always going to be the one interview where it's like, okay, this person is not above us in mm. some way in terms of knowledge and power. Mm. Um and so it's really cool that it was saved for last because that also means that they're in the highest place they've ever been Mm. so it's like this really cool final interview where somebody who actually doesn't really have the ability to trick them um is is actually giving them information there in the best place to use it it's it's like this is the moment where they really felt like the fucking cool investigators as opposed to people being like taken on a ride yeah um yeah and the other thing is like yes they feel like they have this information but i think it's very important to note that I think if they had done this interview first, they wouldn't have got anything out of it. And it no, feels exactly. like we, were... as the audience, have like gained the knowledge that they've gained here, ma- making this, you know, this interview is packed with revelations because we have all this context going into it. Yeah, they were exactly right to save it to last yeah. because, um, like, yeah, we <laughs> we got a bunch of good stuff out of this. Um, and I'm just really glad it happened like that because it, it allowed us to do that. Whereas if they'd done this first and then talked to everyone else, it probably would have just been a bit of a mess. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Also, as we as we sort of start to go into the the factoids that we learned um, in all this, because I, I assume there's going to be a lot to talk about there. I also yeah. just want to mention, like, obviously Snowdrop's ability to lie is really cool, but it seems to pale in comparison to uh, like her ability to see these ways into and out of different worlds. Like here she's helping them get into the ruins and shit. Like it's, she's got this instinct for moving between worlds, which I guess given she was made of the paths makes sense. Yeah. Um, But it's, it's pretty cool. Like pretty handy. Yeah. Um, It's a great example of like, just a really simple way to demonstrate how far they've come, you know, like they can now just yeah. kind of at ease move between these I'm just going to call them parallel universes, even though I know that's not what it is. <laughs> um, and I think that's just a really great, like, a really great marker of, like, something that they had completely no idea about, you know, an arc ago, even, right? Yeah. Well, a huge, a huge, so, wait, if we start getting into the factoids, mm. uh, one of the big ones that they sort of come up and, and learn about here was that the, the murder sort of took place in the ruins like the carmine beast yes. is sort of coexisting in these different layers of reality yeah um and it seems like the ruins is where it actually sort of happened and that's obviously something they wouldn't have been able to put together if they'd done this interview even like halfway through arc two yeah um definitely definitely um i think the other part that ties into that that seems important is the fact that the Carmine Beast sustained multiple wounds, even over the course of the time we saw in the inter- in the, uh, the prologue, right? Um, yeah. Which we, I guess, kind of theoretically knew, but it really is kind of validated here and, and explicitly spelled out. No, no, there, it was still being attacked while Louise was following. Yeah, which I have not gone back and read the prologue since, like, arc one. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to go back and see if that was actually a detail that was in it because I definitely missed it. If it was, yeah, me too. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, I, I think the other thing is like, basically there is a giant bloody trail going through the town where the Carmine Beast walked, both in reality and particularly in the ruins. And there's just this sort of sense of there's a giant blood trail going through the entire town and they've sort of missed it till now yeah and that's because it's, it's it's always going up across like one little northern part of town and it's mostly in the ruins where they haven't been that much but like even avery has that moment of if we'd just gone around the corner we would have seen this huge ass blood trail mm. um oh well oh, I, yeah they're not detectives <laughs> you know no, I don't blame them at all. It's just like that that would be so frustrating. Like if it was me, I'd be like, Are you serious? Yeah. Um <laughs> uh, anywho, uh here's one. The the full moon thing. Can we touch on that? Yeah, because so, obviously, like the moon we'd brought up the, the, the there was moon imagery with the Carmine Beast and that, that might relate to the hungry choir. Yeah. We we thought maybe it was just the moon and had something to do with violence or something, but yeah. um, we never thought to check whether the moon was actually meant to be full that night. Yeah, uh, and it wasn't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, so that's kind of dodgy. Um, hey, I'm just occurring. It's just occurring to me now. We had the calendar bonus material, right? Does that did yep. that show us that the moon wasn't full then? No, it doesn't go. No, back. I think that okay. that calendar started um, basically when they like awoke. Yeah, the, 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 I mean, you could do math to figure it out from there, but um, I, I mean, the point is that like it shouldn't have been full. The yeah. story just tells us. Yep. Um. Anyway, so yeah, again, feels dodgy, and I think more explicitly, it feels like we should be connecting that to the hungry choir now, right? Like the moon yeah. stuff is so a part of it that it just has to be the hungry choir related. Yeah, I think we we yeah last time we talked about this, we sort of wrote it off as being hungry choir related, but um, it seems like actually it probably is. Mm. Um, then so basically the other thing is is um the metaphor that starts to take shape as to why the Carmine Beast was killed is like sort of linking it to the fur trade and this idea that they've had to kill it up and and chop it up for parts to um you know get all the value from it and they sort of link that to the idea of the the fur trade which is important because chapter 1.6 this is the homework and i yeah. said it would be relevant and it was about well the fur done, trade man. as soon as i saw this <laughs> i was like oh my god it's gonna be so happy with this <laughs> um, work. I, I mean it, it's because it, i went back and reread that part um in 1.6 and and the framing of the homework is they're talking about the Canadian like Federation, like, like becoming a nation. Um, and I was just wondering, like, so it's sort of it was listed like something to do with the the fur trade of that company, the HBC company or whatever. Mm. Um, was that com- that company wanting to be able to use rivers for their fur trade is what was one of the reasons for Canada to try and become federated. Yes. Um, as listed in that chapter and the like so you know the other one that's listed is like an american invasion which also seems relevant to this situation and it's mm. like i'm wondering if we're meant to be drawing parallels like we've obviously used our garden and and um eat like biome metaphors for for kennett but like should we also be trying to apply maybe a metaphor of like a nation state or something mm. um like is there some way that kennett can define itself as a nation that doesn't involve being taken over by practitioners um who are the evil america in this instance who even knows <laughs> i i'm yeah i just have no idea right like 
again, it's that kind of thing of like, yeah, this is going to make so much sense in two months. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> Anywho. But yeah, um, so then, yeah, the last maybe sort of factoid we sort of get is uh, Avery makes this link to the coin um, mm. and basically uses this to go right back to the awakening ritual stuff that, um, you know, we knew would come in at some point uh, yeah. that Edith, uh, Marisica and the Hungry Choir were the three who left through the coin yes, uh, and were sort of tying the, the coin and its uh, fur, fur trade imagery to what's happened to the Carmine Beast and they've uh, through that link, suddenly become our top three suspects. Yeah, as a sort of trio, the the anti Kenneteers. Yeah, which is because Avery thinks that this is kind of the universe signaling this link, right? Um, yeah, which yeah, I can see it. I can see it. It it was definitely a uh, a logical leap that I I would never have made. Like it was a few steps beyond me, but I can see it. Um, I, I, I like this because it's a trio and now that we know that the Hungry Choir is a girl at its core, it's it's the anti Kenneteers, it's it's three women. Mm. Um so you know they're they're gonna have to one v one each other in the in the ultimate fight. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sure that'll be what it's like. <laughs> um anyway. I mean there's interesting parallels you could draw there. maybe this is just me being silly because you could yeah, probably do this anyway, but you know, like, like the symbolism. Well, like Edith and Avery, like Edith is sort of quite literally defined by her relationship to Matthew. There's there's some mm. stuff there. Okay. Um, Marisica is is the Verona. Mm-hmm. She's yeah. I mean, I've talked about how I think Verona's fairyish, uh, and then the Hungry Choir is associated with like violence, and and Lucy has been as well. All right. How about this? I keep that. Lucy is the Hungry Choir. I can do that. Marisica, yep. Avery, the link being. The Avery's obsessed with glamour. Okay. And Verona is uh Edith because they're both women that uh are heavily drained by the like normal human interactions <laughs> of their lives. Uh yeah, I I mean I, I like that. Um I I still am gonna stick with mine. All but, right. Well we'll um, see. We'll see when they each yeah. have their one on ones in the final arc when they have to each take yeah, out the exactly. who's gonna be it. <laughs> and the the hungry choir really just doesn't fit into there at all. That's the problem. Well it'll be it'll be less the hungry choir and more Yolda. Yolda. Yeah, true. If Yolda if we meet her and she starts to take a yeah. like, you know, once her secret's out, maybe she'll she'll be less out of the picture. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, maybe she'll like take her final form or whatever. Exactly. Um, so now let's move on to the bonus. Uh, now I'm just picturing using glamour to like megazord yourself by combining the Kenneteers. Like they can glamour themselves <laughs> they can into like into... I don't know, like a super witch, a giant carmine beast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, is there anything? Is there anything there? I'm trying to think. Like. The animal masks, is it kind of like if you if you stick a fox and a deer and a cat together, you get a carmine <laughs> beast? Is that anything? I don't I don't think that's anything. Yeah, I'm try I'm trying to think like I don't think there are any um like mythological creatures, you know, like those ones that are just combos of other yeah, animals like they turn into chimeras a chimera or griffins. With a, yeah, exactly. With a fox, <laughs> cat, deer head. Um anywho. Yeah, oh yeah, like a Cerberus style yeah, thing, but yeah, each yeah. head is their animal. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Um 
Maybe that's what the interlude will be. Something to do with that. We'll see. <laughs> Uh, from the yeah, the interlude from the perspective of the, <laughs> the, the Averonal Sea. Um, so uh, <laughs> in our three point nine extra material, um, we basically see Zed getting into a chat room to talk to to to, to Rad Ray Sunshine. Yeah, I, and I mean, you know, you better not forget your password. <laughs> this, this is the craziest shit. Like this is. Such a fucking cool mix of technology, magic, horror. Um, yeah, uh, yeah I, I, I loved this. The the way it's like, it's taking like those old mud style games and, and like making them real. It's like, you know, you hear a man clanging downstairs and it's like, that's actually happening in real life too. Mm. Like that's, that's such a great horror idea. I'd love to see this in a visual medium where it's sort of happening in real time and, and you're realizing it alongside Zed that these things are coming into the world. Mm. Yeah. Um, it is horrifying, isn't it? It's so wild. What a wild... Uh, Technomancers are so fun. <laughs> They're so ridiculous. <laughs> They're uh, very extra. They um, are. They really, really are. Like this idea that it's like uh, Ray got involved in this because there was this seven dwarf script got turned into an urban legend and then these seven dwarf like evil others manifested and ray was like cool i'm gonna take those and turn them into security bots um which i guess gives us a bit of a glimpse at how uh like zed might want to use the hungry choir hungry choir right these are the sorts of transformations they can use them for yeah he's they're basically going to become his version of uh you know like a a capture a capture thing on a website <laughs> where you have to enter your, you know, they they ask you enter your name and then click on all of the pictures that are pictures of cars. And if you don't do it, you get signed up to a murder ritual. No, well, what would you use something that has thousands of wives for? Peer to peer network. Yes, ah, yes. Hungry choir torrents coming to you <laughs> soon. A, no, it's a messaging service where you where it's like oh, sending like hungry choir to deliver messages for you. Ah, <laughs> oh, perfect. Yeah um i yeah I, okay so back on my mini list of things i love about this extra <laughs> yeah, yeah, material um because i think this might be my favorite so far like Ooh, visually nice. it's it's fantastic mm. not just like those sort of command line like you know hacker terminal styling <laughs> um but also like the rest of it like the way we start getting little comments from nina off to the side was very comic-y in a way that i liked um and then just like all the other like graphics where he's opening windows and and the the framing of like how he had to type like say and then put what he wanted to say in um in in between yeah uh, it's like quotation a marks it's a total like a it's like yeah. a mutt basically oh it's just hilarious that when he's in a conversation with Ray he's still having to he do still it does it I know what a like stupid it's his... thing to do <laughs> um because I, I mean I guess that's the other thing is there's this digital world that people are projecting into mm. and and like that feels big to me because we've sort of talked about oh the ruins and there's the spirit world and they were shaped by humans or, or whatever and and blah 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 um this is like a straight up artificial world that they're able to project into and mm. i mean that like feels like it could be important again I, I think i already brought that this up this episode but we're talking about oh the world's changing and the spirit world's changing the fact that humans are straight up in intentionally creating artificial worlds that they can project into mm. um has got to be important yeah i think so 
I think so. It's you're right. It's all coming back to these themes of the way that these established systems are, you know, being disrupted and eroded. Yeah, and like can others would others start to show up in these other worlds? Mm. Um mm. what would they look like? Interesting. Yeah. Um yeah, like there's this there's like so much to talk about. Like that could be that could be a book on itself, like just talking about the effects of technomancers is enough to fill a whole story um yeah and, and I, I like this as well because it, it ties into like we did the extra or our, our own bonus bit on the techno pagans i think it was even last week mm. and i don't know if i actually brought it up in there but one of the things that kept coming up in the interviews i was reading with techno pagans is they were talking about how they viewed um like the metaverse like the the yeah you know the online space as an analog of the spirit world and it's like oh it's a place where you know we express our ideas and you know those people were genuinely treating it as a kind of extra spirit world thing and we're kind of seeing that you can do that now in pale like open up one of ray's uh seven dwarf login things get in and you can astrally project into a digital world mm, yeah <sighs> yeah i mean i yeah we've kind of touched on the idea of like paths and alternate worlds and stuff. So I'm excited to see what are the techno mancer versions of those, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Like the artificial ones of them, are they, are they any different? Mm. Um, and what does that say about them? Mm. Uh, mm. Also, uh, Zed has this, uh, librarian animus, um, which is, I guess is some sort of like spirit or incarnation it's, of yeah. librarians. If you're familiar with uh, the Dresden Files, it's what we call a bob, seems like. <laughs> uh, she struck me as, as a bit of a Giles from Buffy yeah. Uh, yeah. as well. Um, yeah, yeah I, I mean, it's interesting because like, I, I tried to see, like I, I originally wanted to try and do like a monster corner on this, um, but perhaps unsurprisingly, I couldn't come up with much. Mm. Um, the the term animus, uh, which is what you see, it's like Latin for like spirit or soul. Mm. Um, kind of the only other real sort of use of animus is uh, in Jungian psychology, mm. uh, which has actually come up in, in some of our other Monster Corner stuff uh, related to the alchemy stuff. Um, it, it's used to describe part of like the collective subconscious. So animus and anima are like these male and female subconscious things but i wasn't sure how that would relate to this librarian at all mm, interesting yeah i uh especially because like the other little detail we get with the interaction with the animus is um is zed trans uh yes it seems to be i mean there's you know a few things that hint at it um throughout this this bonus bit uh, there's the line that's like Zed talking about how they have, you know, shifted their life before uh, was one that right, I, I yeah. particularly like. Yeah, okay, cool. I just, I, I wanted to make sure I wasn't misunderstanding that, mm-hmm. but um, yeah. Um, and then the other thing we get here is is a bunch of details on the other students and teachers at the school, um, which, you know, are people that will presumably be in the lives of the Kenneteers uh, soon. Um, mm. And also, presumably, will show up in the interlude we're both expecting uh, soonish. Yeah, but um, yeah. I mean, obviously, we already know Chase and Nicolette, great yep. people. It'll be um, fun to see them again. See how Nicolette's doing. <laughs> uh, there's this like scrapper uh, who was diving into the ruins, mm. um, and then there's this. I think this is pronounced Durasher. 
Um, yes. Who knows? Durashur person and a bunch of their students, um, or well, two of their students, and the other one is a was pretty cockroach. Um, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, Durosho sounds fucking terrifying based on what Zed says, and I'm inclined to trust Zed because I've liked everything about him so far. Um, so yeah, I mean, it sounds like it's it's all in. Like they're really going nuclear with this attempt to take out the Hungry Choir. Um, the this brief look we're getting at everyone who's involved is kind of like, okay, Zed is kind of basically saying most of them are shits, um, and he doesn't like hanging out with them. Mm. So, I, I, it's not painting the best picture of, of everyone, but um, I I can't wait to hopefully get to see them in action. Yeah, I I'm uh, I'm excited. Like, yeah, we've we've talked about this. I just need to see this. Like, it's just going to be this <laughs> awesome showdown between a bunch of wraiths and a bunch of uh, powerful or, or semi-powerful practitioners. And we're going to get some horrifying thing where Yolda's going to manifest and then it's going to set up this, you know, penultimate uh, arc of the story where Yolda is now back and she's angry and, you know, she's murdered Chase and some other student and the shit's going off the rails. And I'm just, I'm yeah. for it, you know? I mean, knowing this world, it'll be one of those things where it's like Yolda was actually kind of being held down or held back the way things were currently going. And then like when they confront her, it'll sort of like, you know, the attempts to bind her will actually like unleash her final form and she will come more to the fore or something. If that mm-hmm. makes sense. I don't, I don't know if I'm making myself clear. Uh, not super clear. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I, I like basically I'm saying, what if at the moment Yolda is actually like mostly asleep or something, yes. right? Like, uh, yeah, it, this is, this is basically the hungry choir on autopilot yes. and the attempts to shut it down will sort will of activate her and make things and, like worse. Well, basically. Yeah. I mean, is that going to be worse though? If they like bring out some sentience in her, will that be, maybe it'll be worse, but it'll also be a vulnerability if they can get John on board for some shenanigans yeah. or yeah, who knows? Well, I mean, that's the, thing. It, it could be worse because if she's been asleep this whole time and then she wakes up and it's like, Hey, Remember when the one person I liked and trusted shot me? Um, oh, yeah, true. I'm angry about that. Yeah, that's true. That could be bad. <laughs> she, yeah, she, she she might be angry. Um, uh, yeah, I, I guess we'll see. I mean, I still don't quite know if there's going to be a Yoldery Yolda in, in the mm. heart of this because she was shot. Like, you know, how much of Yolda is, is left? I feel like she's been talked up so much that we have to see some. She's going to play some part sure. in this, right? Whether it's as the enemy or whether it's as the kind of tragic figure that's trapped inside the hungry choir. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure, but I, there's got to be something. I think that's probably right. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I mean, that's it, right? That's the end. Of, is, yeah. there, is there anything else to touch on with this bonus bit or that's the end uh, of our chapters for this week? Yeah, no, I mean, all three fantastic. I'm so psyched for whatever's next. Mm, yeah. Which is going to be the hungry choir. Um, (laughs) all right so uh before we wrap up before we finish off the show uh let's dive into some predictions um you know people predictions on the pale predictor app uh with what they think is going to happen and obviously uh, i feel like we've talked about how we feel like we're starting to get to the end of the story now um so a lot of questions are getting answered i still don't feel like you know we read through each of the predictions that are left in the thing We've pulled out some of our faves, but I don't think that we've got one that has been like, oh, this is it. Like, this is the answer to everything. So there's still space for somebody, I think, to be the 
you know, I've solved it person. Yeah, absolutely. Um, especially as we get to the end, uh, what people I think will be able to do is start laying out more complete theories, if that makes sense. Like, like you know, you still absolutely get tons of credit if in the middle of arc one you are like, I think it's these two, and, it, mm-hmm. and they end up being like two of the three. Yeah, you I know? think so. Um, but, you know, then somebody also gets credit if at the end of arc three they're like, these three did it for this reason. Mm. Yeah. using the extra info like and sort of take the theory the next step you know yeah yeah um anyway should we pull out some credit uh, some theories that we really like yeah yeah uh what have you brought for us uh, i brought a theory from uncle thermoscales who talked about this interesting beat that they noticed which was um in the awakening ritual when alpi goes into the circle both verona and avery reach for molasses to give to her but ultimately avery is the one that actually gives it to her and Uncle Thermos uh-huh. thinks this is foreshadowing that Verona and Avery, Avery, Verona and Avery, you know, argue over Alpi, who's going to be Alpi's. What's the opposite of familiar? But master, patron, whatever. Um, I think it's familiar both ways, but I'm not hundred oh, okay. percent sure. Yeah, cool. Uh, anyway, obviously Verona and Avery have had this kind of on and off bit about it, um, and potentially Uncle Thermoscales thinks this is a foreshadowing that Avery is going to be the one that actually gets to be her familiar. Yeah, I, I like that. That does feel like exactly the sort of detail where when you're reading things in retrospect, you're like, oh, foreshadowing. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I would now tend to agree. I'd actually thought Verona and Alpi made a better pair, um, maybe because in my heart I want Avery to take Snowdrop. But mm. um, I I agree. I think if Alpi's going to be one of those now, like uh, I would take this as pretty good evidence for Avery being the contender. Mm. Yeah, uh, I liked it, so I wanted to pull it out. So... Uh... If it happens, Uncle Thermoscales gets the credit. <laughs> um, what about you, Elliot? What have you got for us? Um, so I brought a theory from Kayleen, Kayline. Mm. It's two Ys, no I. Um, in, in, anyway, Kayleen, Kayline, uh, basically has come up with this theory. I'm just going to read it verbatim. Uh, Cherry Pop is a lot smarter than she lets on and has some sort of trick similar to Best Trash Girl. That's why she calls herself stupid, etc., yet still gets a full vote and has a say with the others. I feel like she will be the key in linking Carmine's death and the goblins while allowing her to slip under the radar as she is seen as so minor. And I don't necessarily give this like a high likelihood as a theory, but I fucking love it as an idea. Like <laughs> Cherry Pop being the secret mastermind would be a fucking like it would it would be so fantastic. It's hilarious. It would be pretty good, wouldn't it, to find out that Cherry Pop has secretly <laughs> been the Goblin Mastermind. <laughs> I don't I just I mean I'm here for it if it happens, I guess is all I'll say. Yeah. I, I yeah, I can't see it right now, but um like happy to be <laughs> But I'm open to being convinced. um yeah and so uh with with those predictions covered uh should we move on to last week's discussion question Mm. yeah let's do it um so last week's discussion question was what piece of outmoded tech would you use as a technomancer tool and what would it do um i pulled out let me let me start with an answer that i really liked and i think this answer really um exemplifies the thing that I think is the most important in coming up with a technomancer piece of technology, <laughs> which is that you have to start with a pun and then think of what it would do. Because I'm sure that's how actual in-universe in, in universe technomancers 
come up with their tricks is they start with what's a piece of old technology? Okay, what's a pun I can make about that thing? And now how can I make that somehow useful, right? Uh, the enter so key, things like, they, they bug, all had all of that stuff, right? They all had such good names, yeah, yeah. Enter key, the computer bug, keyboard. the grungy keyboard, yeah. the um, jammer. Exactly. So Professor Crispy has come up with the punch card, which great, great old technology reference. So far, so good. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, it's like one of those, you know, those like prank uh, cans of peanuts that you open and a s- snake comes out or whatever. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like that, but it's like a birthday card. And when you open it, it punches you in the face. And it's perfect. <laughs> I mean, like, it's it's a perfect pun and a perfect stupid thing that, that a technomancer could do. Um, I, I really, I, when I was reading this, for some reason in my head, I had it in my mind, like one of the birthday cards that like plays music when you open it as yes, well. Yes. I, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. Like, it's so like, as it's punching you on the face, it's playing like pop goes the weasel yeah, or something. Exactly. Which is perfect. <laughs> it's so good. Um, so yeah, I really like that one. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I pulled out one, uh, from Aperture Lemon, mm. uh, who, basically talked about like having an old like game cartridge um where you know if you're playing the game or you know you turn the game on and you go to like the right town in the game uh the music causes severe psychological distress to people um and any technology with microphones start like leaking blood and and all that and uh, the reason i like this one is i'm i'm like 99% sure this is a reference to that old like urban legend about the lavender town song like i don't know if everyone maybe not everyone's familiar with this but um there, there was like it was like an urban legend that um there was a there was an original version of the lavender town theme song for pokemon like red and blue mm. um that was like so horrible it like caused all these kids to kill themselves mm um, and so like, they had to like rewrite. I, I can't remember the exact details. It's been a while since I looked this up, but like, yeah, it, it was basically like there was this, you know, lost old version of the Lavender Town song that was so creepy. It like had all this supernatural shit around it in this urban legend. And I feel like that's like that led some credence to this idea to me because it's like there's that urban legend that you can use to power this game cartridge now. Mm, yeah. It's that, it's, it's like the old, um, What's the one with the Legend of Zelda? I think it's Majora's Mask or Ocarina of Time. Uh, the, the that terrible fate. Um, yeah, yeah. Like ben, where they had like, the... like Ben something, right? Yeah, you know yeah, what I'm yeah. talking about. Uh, you do. I know you do. It's I do. Like yeah, that. that's what the vibe that it gives me, right? Yeah, it was like a. It was a. It was a copy of Majora's Mask that had Ben's yeah. name in it right, and on. started to like haunt them and shit. Yeah, Haunted I remember. Haunted Ocarina of Time. No, it was Majora's Mask. Majora's Mask, Because okay. it, it, they used the terrible fate a lot. Haunted Majora's Mask. Ben Drowned is what it's called. Ben Drowned. That's it, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Great, great, like, little horror story. Creepypasta, is that the right term? Yes. Anyway, worth reading. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, those are exactly the sort of urban legends I think Aperture Lemon's <laughs> yeah. tapping into here, which, yeah. is why, which is why I like this idea, because I can sort of see in the world of Pale someone being able to or a technomancer being able to harness that urban legend in something like this yeah um i have one more that i want to pull out that i really liked which is from a user called hobo demon um basically they talk about the fact that uh the ti graphic uh, graphing calculators are basically the perfect thing for this for technomancy 
tool, you know, making uh, because they are so iconic as pieces of outdated technology, um, which I think is perfect. Mm. I think it, they're the perfect base. I, they didn't come up with a good pun, which I have to take marks off of them for. Um, and they talk about the idea <laughs> of using it for augury, which I think kind of works. But I think if you find a good pun that works with the TI-81 or TI-82 kind of name, you're, you're really in business as a technomancer. So I just thought that was, I thought it was the perfect piece of outmoded technology yeah. to base a, a, a trick. I'm trying to come up with a pun. I now. tried. I feel I, like, yeah, I couldn't come up with one either. Something to do with time, just TI and 81. Oh, yeah. If you do some time based one and then do some like, you know, chronomancy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Hmm. Um, okay. Right, so the last answer we're going to pull out here was um, from Foxtail Lavender. Uh, who basically had the idea of like a, a hand cranked uh, like projector or something, um, and they specified with a fairy trapped inside. Although I think you could do this with a lot of other things, but basically like cranking it or, or turning it on um, basically causes the projector to like produce all this light, and it's a kind of like glamour. So you could use this projector to cover things up or like you know basically broadcast false images using the projector. Um, which I think like projectors have been around long enough to be like a pretty good candidate for for something like technomancy. Like they're they're fairly universal in like schools and um like lecture halls and that sort of thing. Mm. Mm. Yeah. That is good. I, I like that. I like the the idea of taking this kind of uh very common experience of these like specks of dust and it becomes a, a basis of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Good ones. Some good ones in here. Man, Technomancy is so cool. <laughs> it really is. And I, 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 it opens so many cool avenues of stuff too. And it's all so stupid. I think that's my favorite thing about it is all tech, like one of the requirements for being a Technomancer seems to be you don't take yourself too seriously. And I'm so... <laughs> Well, it's all like that, like super, like their their aesthetic is, you know, like it's rad ray sunshine. Like yeah, it's all like exactly. kind of tubular. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is just such a fun vibe. Yeah. Well, because you know they're from, um, like they have to use things that have the most, I guess, cultural cachet of of of, of zeitgeist energy, right? And that is just like nostalgia 80s era technology like the fucking jam <laughs> website is probably their their equivalent of um a power source the space jam website is probably a technomancer's domain i'm pretty sure do you know the space jam website? Yeah. your silence makes me think you don't know what i'm talking about i know i have no idea what you're talking about you know space jam the movie space jam from 1996 uh yeah i'm familiar with it yeah they made a website when it came out and that website still exists in its original form um, oh wow that's so cool if you go to spacejam.com it's basically a shrine right to old uh you know to old um to old web design it is atrocious i love it um so yeah if you want to uh, support our show you can do that by heading to www. Yeah. Oh, wait sorry should we should we talk about our new discussion question oh, good good point yes we should got distracted by the space jam <laughs> website <laughs> Um, yeah, so I, I thought it would be fun to to get people's uh, opinions uh, on how things are going with this next discussion question, mm. which is, how do you think the Kenneteers or the Kenneth others could have handled things better? Yeah, we're seeing... So like, the- obviously, we've just sort of seen a, a yeah. fracturing in, in everyone in the town. Yeah. 
So, um, yeah, how do you how do you reckon like what could or should people have done differently? Probably focusing more on could because I think it's very easy to say, well, they should have done this, but there's maybe a reason why they didn't. So, yes. you know, what middle ground do you think there might have been? Yeah. Um, if you have an answer to that question, you can leave it in our discussion thread, which will be linked down in the episode description down below. Uh, yes. You can also find us on Twitter. It is still, as of right now, <laughs> at MediaMD Podcast. Yeah, we keep thinking um, we'll change it, and we maybe will one day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're really, uh, we're really kind of othering the situation by just not doing it. I think I made that joke last week now that I'm saying it. Um <laughs> Yeah, at Medium D Podcasts, uh, you can find my live reads there. Um, also, like episode announcements and stuff. So yep. check it out. Yeah, if you want to support uh, this show or any of the other shows, uh, you can check out with the Doof Media Network that we're a part of at doofmedia.com. You can see all the other cool shows on the Doof Media Network there. Um, a new episode of the Doofcast has just come out on Cabin Pressure, which I'm very excited to listen to. We talked about that show what, six months ago, a year ago, and I really enjoyed it. So I'm keen to uh, to get more cabin pressure discussion in my life. Yeah, I ended up re-listening to the entire show for that Doofcast episode. Like, I was like, oh, I'm just going to re-listen to the first two or three so I can remember mm. uh, exactly what it's like for when I listen to the Doofcast episode. And then I, I listened to the, whole thing. the all four seasons. Good on you. Um, it is it it's is honestly really good, and I feel like it's the sort of thing a lot of people will we'll give skip them, yes. out on yeah, um, be, because you haven't heard of it. You really should give it a chance. Um, there are podcast feeds with it, uh, but you didn't hear that from me. Um, so <laughs> please, please give it a chance. To find out more. Yeah. Um, also, don't forget to stop by Wabo's Patreon. Mm. Patreon.com forward slash Wabo. Uh, give him some of your coin yeah. and don't murder any Carmine beasts on the way. And um, You'll yeah, be a good person. Yeah, as long as that coin doesn't come from fur trading, just pass it on while Bo's way. Yeah. Um, all right. I mean, that's our show, folks. So thanks for tuning in. God, this was a long one. What what happened, Elliot? These chapters, <laughs> we just had a lot to say, I guess. Well, I mean, what do you mean? What happened? We just talked about it for two hours. I know, but I like these chapters didn't seem crazily, you know, huge. Am I crazy? No, I I learned about halfway through deep impact not to expect any correlation between how much i thought i was going to talk about a chapter and how much i ended up talking about a chapter yeah anyway like how how how, like exciting and monumental a chapter feels doesn't seem to correlate at all to how long we end up talking about the longest pair reflections episode so far i don't know i feel like it is anyway let us know by tweeting at us and (laughs) we'll we'll see you next we're gonna make it harder for any other ones to to catch up Uh, oh no it looks like it looks like our second episode is the longest yeah. 10 minutes longer than we're gonna to have to keep this speech yeah. going for about another 10 minutes to, so, to be longer uh, it's been watching anything else good lately elliot or uh <laughs> i've been watching season two of umbrella academy i've got one episode left but i'm enjoying it so far pretty good well i haven't started that i'm yeah. uh i've just been just been getting into season two of fantasy high again. oh yeah uh, a friend of mine messaged me because the the that season just ended right uh or like they oh, did the, the main one crown of candy just ended yeah, yeah. um they just dropped a trailer for the new side quest or something. And so a friend of mine messaged me and was like, hey, you should really, you know, this is great. Oh, and look, it's going to have these characters from Fantasy High in it. And I was like, what? Yeah. I haven't seen the second season yet. I really need to. Um, I, I watched that trailer and I was like, I watched the episode of Fantasy High that is like set in that setting and has those characters the day before that trailer right. came out. Perfect it, was, it was also uncanny. Like I, I finished 
though that episode with those characters and then sort of like sat down and it was like oh trailer for the next one it was like leviathan city and it's like what <laughs> I, I, I just watched that Perfect. Um, so i'm pretty i'm pretty hyped yeah fun. new season of i'm um, actually just aired as well which i have to go check yes, out need to get in on that get my nerd on has that been 10 minutes <laughs> <laughs> yeah look we've wasted everyone's time enough i doubt anyone's even listening to this for this way if you're if you're listening <laughs> to this still at me or at ruben uh, even better just at medium deep um all right <laughs> for now have a good time see you next week see ya. <laughs>